This morning, I get to uh, close out our series, uh, Seven Church Series, uh, out of the book of Revelation, and uh, how Jesus is speaking to the churches. Now, uh, I said earlier this morning that, you know, I enjoyed every single one of the sermons that uh, were challenging. We heard about God's love, God's challenge, God's mercy, God opening doors, God speaking to the church and building their faith and their their strength and commending them for uh, keeping their testimony. And and especially um, this this past Wednesday, Pastor Dan Heraldus spoke on the book uh, out of... Uh, the church at Philadelphia. And, you know, it, it was really good, encouraging, motivating, and uh, I'm opening the door for you. And all these messages were inspiring and challenging. And then we come to the one I'm going to preach on, on Laodicea, and come on, give me a break. I think, I, you know, they, they gave me the short straw here because I'm the one that's going to speak out of Laodicea, for the church of Laodicea that we're all familiar with. It's the lukewarm church. And there's nothing that God said is good about them. So don't take it personally. No, on the other hand, take it personally. Because God, want, God loves us, cares about us. He wants to help us. He wants to encourage us. And because he wants to help us and encourage us, he tells us the truth. And so out of the book of Revelation, in chapter number 3, uh, let's start with verse number 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write. Or to the angel of the church in New Harvest Christian Fellowship, write. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So, because you are lukewarm, neither uh, hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest or sincere and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. And to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne throne. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit uh, says to the churches. So here's the church of Laodicea. City of Laodicea was located in modern Turkey today, about 45 miles southeast of the church at Philadelphia and about 100 miles uh, east of Ephesus. And so the, church, the seven churches that we heard about were in that, that vicinity of each other, close proximity. And so God was wanting to speak to each of these. And the last church, I really believe, he saved Laodicea because what he wanted to do was to make sure that all the other churches understood that what they were involved in during their time frame was, was deadly serious. 
that standing for Jesus and standing for, for, for the truth of the gospel was nothing to play games about. And so what he does uh, there in the first verses is he shows us who's speaking. He says, uh, I, the, I am the amen, the faithful, and the true witness, and the beginning of the creation of God. So the reason he's doing this is he's saying, listen, I want you to know who's bringing this message. Yeah, the angel, which signifies the pastor of the church, may be preaching, but I reveal to him what I want him to say. And I am the amen. The word amen, the Greek translation of the Hebrew word for certainty or truth. In other words, what am I about to say to you is the final word. He says, I'm deadly serious about what I'm going to speak to you about. And I am the one that uh, is the first and the last. I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. And he reminds us, because he is the Amen, that we can trust him, that we can depend on him. And what he speaks to us about is truth. Don't you thank God that when you hear the word of God, it's the truth, as the scripture says, that sets us free. Not the deceptions of our feelings or what the world says, but it's the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we can trust on him completely, by the way, which the church at Laodicea was not doing. We're going to see how they were depending on themselves, how they were trusting the truths of this world and what this world had to offer. And so we have to pay attention to what Jesus is saying because he says, I am the amen. I am the creator. I created everything. I was not created, but I was or am the creator. In other words, he was saying, I could see right through you. Listen to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15. It describes Jesus. Paul is writing, and he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, by Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through and for him. So he's saying, listen, this is who is talking to you. You think I don't know you? I can see right through you. Because the church at Laodicea, were, were, they were reveling in, in their successes, reveling in their wealth, reveling in the fact that they had all they thought they needed. And on the outside, they looked good. On the outside, it looked like they had it together. But Jesus says, you don't know what you're talking about. Because you can't pull the wool over my eyes. How many know sometimes we think we can pull the wool over God's eyes? It's not so. And he's telling this church that. He says, you have one opinion of yourself, and the opinion of, that people can see on the outside, but I'm seeing right through you because I made you. I know who you are. I know what your shortcomings and weaknesses are. And so we're going to look this morning at the diagnosis of this church. You know, when you're sick, you go to the doctor, you go to the physician, and you tell them what's wrong, but what they do is they still diagnose 
those areas that you're talking about that maybe hurt you or that aren't functioning correctly. And he says this in verse 15, I know your works. You're neither hot or cold, I know your deeds. That you're neither hot or cold, and I wish that you were hot or cold. I got a video I'd like to show you, and I want you to check this video out, because it gives us an idea about what lukewarmness is all about, because it's the lukewarm church. So guys, I kind of surprised you. If you have this video ready, I know you're on top of it. <laughs> We're in Hollywood, California. We're going to be asking people how they like their coffee. Hot, lukewarm, or cold? Join me. Can I just ask you a very quick question? Uh, if I was going to give you a cup of coffee now, would you like it to be hot, lukewarm, or ice cold? I like it hot. I like it hot. Ice cold. Do you like it hot, lukewarm, or cold? I like it hot. I would like it hot. I got a question. I got a question for you, Miss Monroe. Hot, lukewarm, or ice cold? Ice cold. Hot. Ice cold. Hot. hot. Very hot. Cold. Mostly, I like it really hot. Cold. You like cold coffee? <laughs> I think the police might have been called. Hot. Hot. Cold oh, coffee. Thank you very much. Cold. Ice cold, baby. Hot. Hot. Woo! You ask a guy to drink coffee. <laughs> so this this question. Oh, ice, ice cold. No. I think he likes it hot. Hot. You like it hot. So not so much lukewarm. No. So if I was going to give you a, a cup of lukewarm coffee, would you be disappointed? Yes. You don't like lukewarm coffee. No. No. Lukewarm coffee. I've got a quick, quick question, Dad. Do you like your coffee boiling hot? Lukewarm or cold? Okay, he's, he's at hot. Well, there you have it. You saw for yourself. A lot of people like hot coffee, and a lot of people like cold coffee. It's weird that no one likes lukewarm coffee, isn't it? Nobody likes lukewarm coffee. Nobody likes it because it makes you nauseous. And so Jesus said, I wish that you were hot or cold, but you're not. You're lukewarm. You know what happened? They had no heart for God. They lost their zeal, their enthusiasm for God. They thought they were good. They thought they were on top of things, uh, but Jesus saw right through them. They weren't hot. They were fence sitters. They wanted to have it both ways. A fence sitter sits on, on the fence. One leg hangs over one side of the fence, and the other leg hangs over the other side. And there are a lot of folks who come to church that are that way. They want to have the world, and this was the problem with Laodicea. They want to have the world uh, during the week, uh, and then they'll have uh, the other side of them on Sunday. And Jesus says, that's not going to work because you haven't yet made up your mind uh, what you are or how you're going to serve me. And Jesus said, I wish you would make up your mind. They were fence sitters. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and in verse 4. Listen, Paul writes to Timothy and he's talking about the last days. He's talking about the signs of the times. 
how things are going to be, how people are going to, to, to react to, to, to life around them, what the characteristics of people are going to be like. And he says this, they're going to be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From these turn away. They were not hot, the church of Laodicea. They were lukewarm. And Paul writes to Timothy and said, these kinds of folks you don't want to hang around with. Why? Because they'll probably cause you to start being lukewarm also. These folks lost their zeal. Their love for Jesus was gone. They got wrapped up, as we're going to see a little, little later on, in the things of the world, pursuing the things of the world instead of pursuing Jesus, instead of going after their love for God. They thought they had arrived. Paul writes in the book of Romans, chapter 12 and verse 11. You see, Paul the apostle was a man of God who had enthusiasm in his life throughout his uh, relationship with Jesus. He never lost that zeal. And he writes and he says that Christians, the people of God, should not be lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The church at Laodicea lost their fervency. They weren't hot. They lost their zeal. They were no longer excited or diligent for the things of God. That word fervent means burning in spirit. The Greek word for hot is zestos, where we get our word zest from. You ever remember that soap, zest? Is that still around? That's where they get it from. Zest, zestos. That's what they did not have. That's what they were missing. And this is what what Jesus is saying to the church. He's saying, you've missed the, 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 the mark. You've fallen short in your love for me. And then he says, you're not even cold. You're not hot. And you're not even cold like a person who's searching for something refreshing. Those people who don't know Jesus, who are looking for answers or looking for truth. He said, at least I wish you would be like them. But you're not even searching anymore. You're not even looking for me anymore. Or like someone who's searching, uh, who's in a backslidden condition that needs help. They no longer, he says, needed Jesus. They didn't need his truth in their lives for their families, for their marriages anymore. They were satisfied. They were complacent, and they were cold. No more do we need you for direction, Lord. They didn't need the amen anymore. They didn't need his advice. They didn't need his counsel, their trust. No longer in God's truth, but now it was in the material things they had acquired. Now it was in the things of the world. And so because they were not hot, they were not cold, they were, as says verse 16, lukewarm. And he said, because of that, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now a little history and background. In the city of Laodicea, they had hot springs that came from one, one direction into an aqueduct. And then they had uh, other water that came in and they both mixed up. 
the cold water came in with uh, the, the mineral water from the aqueduct, and that caused a, a, like a, a, a smell to be putrid. It, the taste was, was, was terrible, and it caused people to spit out as soon as they drank the water. Even from the smell, it caused them to be nauseous because of the sulfur and the chemicals in that water. Jesus says, you make me your lifestyle, your lack of love for me makes me want to spit you out. So the question, because they're half-hearted, they, they, they no longer were enthusiastic about the things of God because they got wrapped up in the things of the world, but yet they were still in church because he's writing to the church of Laodicea. So the question this morning, is it possible to be a Christian in quotes? or religious, and at the same time, be repulsive to Jesus. Is it possible to do that? So what, to the answer, we have to look at the Word of God, and we have to see what Jesus says about that in the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 7. In verse 21, this is what he says about what I just asked. Not everyone that says unto me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And in your name cast out devils? And in your name done a bunch of good works? And then I will profess unto them and say to them, I never knew you. Get away from me. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Wow. That's exactly what was going on with the church at Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds, because they were proud of their deeds. They were boasting about their culture in the church. And he said, you're lukewarm, because you don't even know what's going on in your life. And here he says again in the Gospel of Matthew, he says, get away from me, because you think all these things you did are pleasing. Those are the things that you lost. You, you, you don't love me. You're just doing them as works. God forbid that as Christians, we find ourselves in a place where we end up like the church at Laodicea, no longer zealous, excited, seeking God, trusting God, looking to the great I am for answers in our life because he created us. They said to themselves, we've arrived, we have need of nothing. I think about the Apostle Paul, the great things that God used him to accomplish for the kingdom of God. And in his life, in Philippians chapter 3 and in verse 13, even the Apostle Paul says, I have not yet apprehended or gotten hold of all that God wants to do in my life. He's not done with me. I count myself not to yet have achieved. And yet this church thought they had arrived, that all they needed now was what they acquired and no longer Jesus was the necessary. See, Paul was never content to think that he could coast into heaven because he planted a few churches, because he preached a few sermons, 
because uh, he ran a ministry or two or because he, w he gave some money to the church. He understood that he needed to run his race and uh, fight the good fight of faith. Too many Christians in this world today, sad to say, think they have arrived. They no longer have to discipline their lives, pray, read, study the Word of God, be in church, uh, or do whatever it is, uh, get involved in helping people because, you know, been there, done that. Heard sermons like this 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, I'm cool. And Jesus said, looked at the church at Laodicea, you think you've arrived? Let me tell you something, you make me sick. For the Apostle Paul, every day was a battle against sin, temptation, the strategies of the enemy in an evil society. And, and, and I said earlier this morning, this message that Jesus is bringing to the, the angel of the church, the pastor, is for the congregation. But see, I want to take it a step further and say this message could be for our country here in the United States and for the world because we're living in a day and age, especially here in the United States, where we feel we have arrived. We've kicked God out of our society as pretty much. We've kicked him, kicked him, kicking him out of our culture. And we think that now we don't need anything. But we look at our country divided, hurting. Uh, we see it struggling uh, and fighting against one another simply because we have abandoned God and we think we don't need anything else. Uh, but here Jesus says, uh, you make me sick. It's time to get back uh, to God, get people back to the things of God. Time to get the gospel back uh, into our nation so that healing can come. We need to understand that as, as the word of God comes and begins to speak to us, it's our responsibility to take that out there to those who are cold, to those who are searching and thirsty and need refreshing. We've got the word of God that brings life. Jesus is uh, the refresher, the life giver, and it's up to us to do that. We're still in that fight. We haven't arrived. We're still struggling against the things of this world and uh, fighting against the strategies of the enemy. And the consequence that Jesus speaks to them and says, you're lukewarm. The consequence of that lukewarmness. The results of their lukewarmness is that they were self-deceived. They deluded themselves. He says, because you say, I'm rich and have need of nothing. They were blind to their own spiritual condition. They didn't realize how far down they had sunk into apathy. They didn't realize. They, they deluded and deceived themselves into thinking they were fine, but yet they fell into lethargy spiritually and indifference. And we need nothing. See, they measured their success, their spiritual state and condition by their deeds, by the material things that they had acquired. Let me give you a little description of Laodicea during this time. 
They could have been likened to the city of Las Vegas, Beverly Hills, Rodeo Drive where their designer clothes, New York and the Broadway shows, and Chase Manhattan Bank all rolled up into one. That was Laodicea. They raised sheep whose wool was special because it was almost black and it had like a violet tone. And because of that, the wool that they, that they, that, that they garnered and from that, those sheep was valuable and people from all around the, the region came to Laodicea for that type of clothing. They were a designer church and city. They also were known as a medical hub because they had one of the largest schools of ophthalmology. They developed an ISAV, as we read in our text. They developed an ISAV that it was a tablet that when mixed with their mineral water they had and they crushed it and made it uh, into a paste and they put it on people's eyes. It brought health to their eyes. It cured some of the infections and diseases that they had acquired. And so people flocked to that city for healing physically. This church had a spirit of self-satisfaction. Self-satisfaction is dangerous to a Christian. How many can say amen? When we become satisfied with ourselves, doing good, chilling, you know, made it, got a job, got a rib, got a wife, got a husband, got a house, got a car, got some money in the bank, we're cool. God says to them, you think you know who you are, but let me tell you something. You don't. He saw right through them spiritually. They were decaying. And he called them for it. And he said, you make me sick. You see, the church at Laodicea refused to look at themselves through the eyes of the word of God. Why? Because they abandoned that a long time ago. They weren't looking at anymore at the word of God. They were just looking at the things, the good stuff, according to them. Instead of looking at themselves in, through the word of God. In James chapter 1 and verse 22, James writes, he says, but prove yourselves doers of the word of God, not just hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word of God and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. And once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. See, too many people come to church, hear the word of God, and not allow themselves to see what God is trying to show them. Or when they do, they come to the altar, repent, and walk out and forget what God showed them. And go back to the same thing. Here is what Laodicea, that church, was happening to them. They refused over the process of time to listen to their pastor speaking the word of God. And so God says, guess what? Here it is. This is what I'm saying. The amen is saying this, and you better listen. The cure. What's the cure? Truth and repentance. That's the cure. 
What does he do in Revelation chapter 3, seven, verses 17 through 22? He begins to speak about their condition. Yes, lukewarm. But what resulted in that lukewarm condition? He said, you're wretched. The word wretched means distressed, worn out, and weathered. Do you ever see a distressed piece of wood? It's got splinters. It looks ugly. It's fallen apart. It's got cracks in it. And Jesus said, that's you guys. That's exactly what's going on in your spiritual life. You're worn out. You're broken. You've got cracks in your faith, and you need to be refinished. Now, the only other place in the New Testament that we hear this word wretched is when the, Apollo, the Apostle Paul uses it in the book of Romans, chapter 7 and verse 24. How does he use it? Does he use it to say, look at these wretched people, God, don't you see them? No. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He cried out to God, and he was looking at his life through God's eyes, not his own. And he said, there's things in me that are not right. They're weathered. They're broken down. Deliver me from this body that's broken spiritually. Too many of God's people look at their lives through the eyes of themselves rather than looking at their lives through the eyes of what God says they are. God said, you're wretched, and he said they were miserable. Miserable. Wow, how could you be miserable? You're wealthy. You're rich. You've got all these things. The word literally means pitiable. That's what miserable means. They probably thought they should be envied for all the good things they had, all the, all the nice stuff, all, all the accomplishments that they made uh, medically as well as uh, in, 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 in the garment area. But God said, you're not to be envied, but rather you're to be pitied. It's like God is showing them all their life because they thought that he's going to get compliments. We're going to get compliments. God, this message, God's going to speak to us. Ah, we're going to be blessed. We're, we're going to look good. And God comes in. Jesus comes in and says, you know what? You're pitiful. You're wretched. You're miserable. God said they were poor, blind, and naked. Man, he's not stopping. He's going on. I mean, you think he says, okay, this is enough. Okay, give me a break. I'm good. You heard enough, but he says, I'm not done yet. I've just started. Poor, blind, and naked. They were pursuing the same dreams that the world uh, had to offer, the same comforts and the, and the goals uh, aside and outside of the things of God. And Jesus is admonishes them in the areas they thought that they had accomplished and that they were successful in. He said, you're poor. But no, but we're rich. He said, no, you're not. You're poor. He says, you're blind. He, they said, what do you mean we're blind? We developed this medicine that helps people see better. He throws it right back in their face. He says, you're naked. What do you mean we're naked? 
We have all these fancy clothes that people come from all over the, the vicinity to come and buy from us. What do you mean? And he throws it back in their face. In the very place where they think they're successful. How about us? What are those areas that you think that you've accomplished, you succeeded in, and that now we're good? We don't have to press in anymore. We don't have to discipline ourselves anymore. We don't have to study anymore, be that faithful anymore, because I've already piled up some, some credits. I've got some points. Because I've done this, I've accomplished the other. See, we have to be very careful that we don't begin to rest on our laurels or our past victories or successes, but yet we constantly say sensitive to God and say, God, is there anything in me that needs to change? Are there things in me that I've started to, to, to look at as, as I don't need you anymore? And God says, his advice, repent. What's my advice to you this morning? If you've come to a place as our uh, music team makes their way to the platform, if you've come to a place in your life that you think you don't need God anymore, if you've come to a place in your life where you've lost that zeal, enthusiasm, that hunger to do something for God, to serve God, to help people, because God loves people. We're to love and serve people. If you feel you've lost that, then it's time to take the counsel that God gives through his son Jesus Christ to this church. And he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Not like you think you're rich. Not what you call gold or what you call uh, uh, resources but rich in repentance and serving me. Instead of floating and just going along with the stream, it's time to turn around and begin to go against the stream go against the flow of this world and what this world says you need to be or you need to look like or you need to, to have I say God what is it that you want of me what do you want from me because I don't want to stand in that day and say have you say depart from me you worker of iniquity because I never knew you repent of the spiritual neglect. He says, and I'll give you white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may be not revealed, or you may be covered spiritually right, clothed in the garment of Christ. Repent of any spiritual blindness spiritual lackness he says as many as i love i rebuke and chasten therefore be zealous and repent god loves us you believe god loves you he loves you he cares about you and because he cares about us he speaks the truth to us 
And he says, be enthusiastic about repentance. Don't be lax. Don't be nonchalant. Do it now. Change course. And he says, I'll give you my promise. Here's my invitation. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me.